Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Welcome back to the studio as we try to answer some more of your questions about uh, the Bible. That's what we do on this program. We have num a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. You can use that anytime and uh, you direct the program. You ask questions and we get to them just as quickly as we can and try to find a biblical answer to whatever kind of questions you might have. Of course, we're always behind because we get so many questions and we have to add closed captioning and some other things. So uh, it takes us a number of weeks to get to it, but uh, the sooner you give us a question, the sooner we can get to it. Uh, we don't mention it often, but if you'd like a written answer to your question, if it's something pressing you want to know right away, uh, just give the operator your name and number or leave it for us. We'll get you a written answer as quickly as we can. So it's the way the program operates, and we've got plenty to work on today, so we're going to jump right into it as soon as we meet Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Toby's back and ready to go here, I think, and we've got uh, some questions for us, and we've got one for our viewing audience. We always start with a trivia question, see if you know a little bit of your Bible, and the days is, what did Joshua do? When the Israelites crossed the Jordan, uh, did something kind of memorable as they crossed the Jordan, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. All right, Toby, I think you got the first one today, so what are we dealing with? For viewers who watch this program regularly and know your Bible, one of the things that they come into often is they go try to study a Bible or read a Bible, and there's a lot of different ones out there. So <laughs> the viewer wants to know which one is best, and that's what they ask. What are the differences? in various translations and which one is best. Well, <clears throat> among English translations, what the Bible uh, is basically doing is translating from the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek in the New Testament, and translating that into an English language. Now, there's different styles of translation. One is uh, the emphasis is on accuracy and it's on uh, getting a word-for-word -word meaning. And then the other end of that spectrum is, is kind of a not word-for-word. -word, it, the emphasis is not so much on accuracy as readability and being able to understand it. And so the emphasis there becomes kind of a thought-for-thought -thought emphasis. And so that's basically the two ends of the spectrum that you have when you come in talking to English translations. Uh, the thought for thought almost gets into some of the paraphrases, the, the Living Bible and the message and things like that. So what we, we recommend on this program is getting a Bible that is as accurate as possible that you can understand. Uh, if you listen to this program uh, for any length of time, all the verses that we use on here for the most part are either from the English Standard Version, uh, the New International Version, and the New American Standard are basically the ones that we use on this program and occasionally we'll break out uh, that box a little bit but for the most part those are the ones that we uh, use and also recommend. I would say there is also a difference 
and it kind of depends on what you're using the Bible for. Uh, if you're just using, if you've never opened a Bible before, if you uh, reading is hard for you and it's not something that you do regularly and you're a little bit intimidated by it, um, you know, a, a version that's easier to read uh, is going to probably be better just for a general overview. Uh, if you're getting more serious, maybe you sign up for a Bible correspondence course, you're looking for a little bit of in-depth, wanting to know a little bit more about word meaning and where else that passage might uh, uh, be referred to in the Bible, a good study Bible will be excellent for you and a, and a real accurate version will be helpful. Um, so that's what we recommend on this program. <laughs> It's hard to say which one is best because it depends on your situation, uh, but do, in general, get the most accurate one that you can read and understand. If you're looking to purchase one, uh, go to a, a website I recommend called BibleGateway.com, BibleGateway.com, and that uh, website there, you can pull up nearly any English translation, and just you can even look at it in parallel and lay the King James right next to the English Standard Version, and just read them side by side. And they're very; those are very helpful tools to have as you look at getting a Bible. So I hope those are some helpful recommendations. Great question. Good advice. Of course, that's a topic uh, we could talk about for <laughs> sure. hours and hours and hours, depending how detailed you want to get. But uh, that's the basics, and that yep. ought, to, ought to help them. Yep. All right, viewers wondering about who the Bible was written for. Was it written for Jews only? Well, if you start reading in the Old Testament, I can see where you get that idea because a lot of the Bible is written for the Jews. Um, most of the Old Testament is a history of the Jews and tells about their, their history and their poetry and their dealings with God and uh, all of that. So a lot of it is written for and about the Jews, God's covenant with them, the Old Covenant or the Old Testament uh, with the Jews. If you take the Bible Correspondence Course, which Toby just mentioned briefly, uh, that's where it starts is explaining the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so you'd find out that the Old Testament was written mainly about the Jews and for them. Uh, but even then, all through the Old Testament, it mentions uh, all men, the Gentiles, all nations, and says that God is seeking them too, and that God's uh, forgiveness will eventually uh, someday be extended to all men and all nations, and they're talking about Jesus, of course. Now, in the New Testament, uh, it's written, it's the gospel is revealed finally. Jesus is the Messiah, and He's come for everyone, and we get to the book of Acts, and the message is preached first to the Jews, and then it's preached to the Gentiles. Starts with Cornelius, and then Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he went all over the world uh, teaching non-Jews about Jesus. So, uh, no, the Bible was not written only to Jews. The Old Testament's mostly about the Jews. The New Testament is about the Jews and the Gentiles who came into Christianity. A classic verse that Paul wrote in Galatians trying to explain this. Let's look at that together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were united with Christ in baptism have been clothed with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Great news, the gospel, the good news. Uh, and that's how Paul explained it to the Jews and the Gentiles. You all become one in Christ. 
All right, okay. got a dancing question here. <laughs> yeah. uh, a viewer asked the question, what does the Bible say about liturgical dance? Uh, well, some of you may not be familiar with that, uh, with the idea of concept. Uh, actually, Steve is going to go ahead and demonstrate. You know, he's got a few moves planned out, and I thought we'd just let him uh, demonstrate. No, I, I tease. Uh, no, liturgical dance is something that some uh, probably a little more uh, progressive might be the word to say. I don't, I'm not sure how to put that. Uh, churches uh, that you know do things a little different, let's put it that way, uh, than your may what you might consider a traditional worship service. Uh, it's a dance that, the strict definition, I looked it up, dance that is incorporated into the liturgies or worship services, an expression of prayer or worship through body movement. Well, uh, they've kind of looked through scriptures and there's some examples like of uh, Miriam uh, is a kind of a famous one, or David uh, when he danced and uh, uh, they say, well, we ought to incorporate that into our worship and allowed the free, uh, free form expression, if you will. And uh, the problem with that is, as we've kind of addressed the subject of worship on the program before, is that, you know, God, w when we come to worship, uh, the worship is not about us. And some people kind of make it into that where we all want to contribute everything that we know how to do and that we're gifted at. And that's really not the purpose of it. Um, the worship is an audience of one, where God is at the center. And it's not about us using our talents. It's not about us performing, uh, in a sense, uh, or doing what makes us feel good. It's really about doing what God has asked and, and, and specifically spelled out in Scripture. And so when we look at the New Testament... Of course, there is a difference here between the worship styles of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and uh, things just changed when Jesus brought in the New Covenant. Um, but when we look at the commands and the examples from the New Testament, we can see there are just some basic things of uh, opening, uh, looking at the apostles' teaching, the doctrine, the uh, teachings of the New Testament, prayer, breaking of bread, uh, givings, uh, offerings, uh, uh, time for that, and... Uh, uh, then, you know, those things as they make up the worship are the things that God has spelled out. And adding the other stuff, that's not found anywhere in the Bible, and you won't <coughs> find a liturgical dance either commanded or uh, given an example of in the New Testament at least. So I guess Steve is off the hook <laughs> for this one. But anyway, that's what liturgical dance is. All righty. Let me uh, talk about studying the Bible with our viewers. We uh, answer all kinds of questions over the years that we've been doing this program, but uh, we haven't got the Bible all covered yet. There's plenty more in it, and that's why we advocate individual home Bible study, and we know that's hard to get started in sometimes, so that's why we offer some free helps, and we'll send them to you um, and give you a whole lot better grip on the Bible, I think. Uh, the first series of lessons that we have, you see on the screen now, there's eight lessons in it. And it's uh, just a good overview of the Bible. Uh, mention it starts like I mentioned earlier with the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, it gives you a good definition of what the differences there are and then leads you to some other parts of the Bible. Then we've got more advanced courses beyond this one that will help you really understand the Bible. So uh, phone number, website are on the screen. Use those anytime you want and tell us you want that free course. We'll send you that first lesson. You get it in the mail. Uh, you get a postage paid envelope to send it back to us. 
after you've finished it, uh, read the Bible where it tells you to, answer a few questions, make sure you got what it was talking about, send it back to us, we'll score it for you and send you lesson number two and we'll keep going that way and helps you form a regular habit of Bible study, we think also. All right, viewer wants to know about uh, New Testament times, offices in the church. And the viewer thinks maybe deacons, elders, and bishops were all the same office in Bible times. Wants to know if that's true or not. Deacons, elders, and bishops. Well, let me put it this way. You almost got it right. That's pretty, pretty close. You've, you, you've read, uh, read well and about got it figured out. But deacons are different from elders and bishops, two separate offices, shall we say. Uh, so let's just look at exactly what the Bible says uh, when it talks about offices or uh, roles of responsibility in the church. Uh, first chart, let's put that up. Deacons are a servant. That's what the word means. Diakonos simply means servant, and that's what they're called, is servants. You can read about them in 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following what the responsibilities, the requirements are to be a deacon, what kind of man should be a deacon. And then there's three words that are used interchangeably, and that's elder, shepherd, and bishop. And you can read the qualifications or what the, those kind of men ought to be like in 1 Timothy 3, 2. So, like I said, the viewer was almost right. Deacons are one set of servants, and elders, bishops, and uh, uh, shepherds, elders, shepherds, and bishops. Uh, there's so many. When I show you the next church, you'll know why I got confused. Let's look at it. They come from three Greek words. First Peter 5, 1 and 2 uses all three words. Uh, presbyteros means elder. It refers to the age of the man. Uh, you can call them presbyters also. Poimen is translated shepherd mostly. It can also be translated pastor. And it replies to the feeding of the sheep and the care of the sheep. And then episkopos is translated overseer or can be translated bishop. And it refers to the oversight or the management of the Christians in a, a local place. Now, let me read 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 to you so I'll show you they're interchangeable. Uh, Peter says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, uh, be shepherds of God's flock, that is, under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. So, Peter puts all three of those words, he uses any one of them to reply to the, refer to that office, uh, elder, shepherd, overseer, bishop, any of those words are fine for that role. Now, uh, both of these roles, deacons and shepherds or elders, are only found at the local level. Uh, you read the New Testament, there is no higher organization than the local church. And that's why when we open this program, we talk about the Churches of Christ being autonomous. Uh, maybe when we close it, I can't remember if it's in the opening or closing, but Churches of Christ are autonomous. Uh, the church that Toby and I attend, Northside, we have deacons and we have elders or shepherds, we call them sometimes and they manage the flock and serve the flock there at Northside. There's no higher authority, there's no headquarters that we go to. Uh, we just follow the New Testament organization and that's what we find. So, hope that helps our viewer and the viewer was very close, almost, almost had that all figured out. All right, Toby, you get one, I think. All right, the viewer asked this one, uh, kind of a, a question about a movie. 
Uh, does God afflict people with the wounds of Christ, as in the movie Stigmata? Uh, well, to answer your question, I, I don't think he does. Um, that is, uh, uh, stigmata is a condition where there are marks that are physical marks that are left on the physical body corresponding with where the nails would have pierced Jesus' uh, body at the crucifixion. And uh, they supposedly are appear on, on people who have divine favor with the Lord. Uh, some claim, I did a little research on that uh, uh, condition, and some claim that St. Francis of Assisi was the first to have it and other people experienced. Uh, we have no indication that that ever happens, uh, either in the Bible or elsewhere. Um, now that's, you know, what you get into is very subjective there because, you know, people say I've seen it or uh, second or third hand, I know someone who saw it or anything. But I think in general, uh, that is not a, a condition that God uh, pours out or, uh, you know, there's really would be no purpose to that. Uh, the purpose, of course, the crucifixion uh, was a very necessary thing. Uh, but the real reason for our hope in Christ lies not in the crucifixion, but in the resurrection. And so uh, I understand the where that idea uh, kind of <clears throat> comes from, and uh, there's kind of some rumors that that, the, that has happened over uh, centuries, and people have experienced it, but I haven't seen it personally, and there's no indication as such in the New Testament uh, that that would ever occur for Christians today. So that's my answer right. on that. I think you're right. <laughs> Don't think it happens. All right, seven deadly sins. I imagine almost all of our viewers have heard of the seven deadly sins, and this viewer wants to know what are they, and where do you find them? Where's the list in the Bible? Well, I can answer that part real easy. It's not in the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't have a list of the seven worst sins or the seven deadly sins. Uh, there are some lists in the Bible of sins, uh, but they don't call them the seven deadly sins. In fact, all the lists are different. Now, what Christians have done over the ages is, I don't even know who dreamed up the first list, uh, but they came up and they, the list varied just a little bit. Uh, but they are the seven kind of basic sins, let's say. I'll show you the list on the screen here, the traditional list of seven deadly sins. Uh, wrath and sloth and lust Greed, pride, and envy, and gluttony are the seven that most in most traditional lists. And if you look at those and investigate them piece by piece, uh, they do kind of represent all sins or a lot of sins, other sins come from uh, wrath or sloth or lust, greed, pride, envy, or gluttony. Uh, so that's the traditional list, but it's not in the Bible. Now there are a couple of lists in the Old Testament uh, where the wise man or somebody says, uh, God hates these things. And one place he says, there are six things that God hates, yea, seven. And there's a list of seven things that God hates. And then there's some other places like that, but they're all different. They're not the same. In the New Testament, Galatians 5, uh, says these are the acts of the flesh. And it lists a number of sins uh, that you might call deadly sins, but they're not called that. They're just representative sin. So there are some lists in the New Testament, but not a list of seven specific deadly sins. So just a tradition in Christianity, and that's where you find it. Uh, we like to talk just a little bit each week about who keeps this program on the air. You might notice we never ask for money. 
when you call in and ask for the correspondence course or something, we never put your name on a mailing list or give you any kind of problem trying to raise money. Now, that's because the Churches of Christ in our viewing area keep us on the air. And we like to thank one or two of them each week for doing that. And today let's talk about our partner in Burlington, Iowa, uh, the Burlington Church of Christ. Down the south part of Burlington there, uh, been our partner for a long time and helps keep us going and uh, handles things up in that area. When you call in or are taking correspondence course, your uh, greater is up in the, the Burlington Church of Christ. So great group of folks. Roddy Tate is their minister. I know you'd uh, enjoy hearing him preach the gospel. He does a lot of work in the community and councils and does some other things. So uh, great influence in the community, the folks there at Burlington Church of Christ. Drop in and visit them sometime, especially if you're looking for a church home. You'd find a, a great group of folks to associate with. Of course, wherever you are watching the program from, there's probably a Church of Christ near you, and uh, give them a thanks for keeping us on the air. All right, Toby, got one more, yep. I think, here. Uh, testing question here. A viewer asks, why do we have to be tested if God knows everything? Uh, well, I think my simple answer is to that. It, the tests really aren't for God. Of course, He knows our hearts, and He knows uh, how we're going to do things, and He gives us free will. Uh, if you think about a test, there's kind of two ways to think about it. One is the the sense of when a test is a noun. It's a procedure where you you try to establish the quality or performance or the reliability of something. I have a, a young child who's in school, and uh, he's has to take a lot of tests as he goes along, and some of those are by his teacher, and some of those are, are by the state. Uh, those tests are designed to help the state and the, the school know if he's uh, making progress as he should, if he's ready for the next level. And so this viewer is saying, well, if God tests us, I mean, doesn't he already know that? What's the point of a test? Well, <clears throat> and that's where the kind of the misunderstanding uh, comes in. So the tests aren't for God to uh, make a, uh, a decision about whether we're faithful enough or mature enough or anything of that sort. It, it, it is designed to help mature us and grow us. Um, Proverbs chapter 17 verse 3 explains this pretty well. It's not on the screen, uh, but it says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And I think that probably helps best describe uh, the tests that we might go through are things that uh, bring us from from where we are right now to where God wants us to be. Um, you might think of it if you're in sports. Your coach is a good coach is going to make you go through some tests, some drills, some exercises that is are designed to make you faster and stronger and perform better in the game and develop that muscle memory. And I think these tests that God gives us along our way in our Christian life, not for His benefit, uh, not because He doesn't know, uh, but to help us bring bring us from where we are to where He needs us to be. So we learn in these tests that God is faithful, and we learn to be faithful to Him through us. Uh, they teach us, they mature us, uh, they remove things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Uh, they help our faith, they increase our faith, and I think those are just part of the maturing process and uh, that's just a natural 
process as you go through your journey as a person of faith. So uh, think about it in that way. That it's not because God doesn't know uh, what you need and He doesn't know if you're ready and all of that. Of course He knows that. Uh, the tests are to help us. Let's read from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 together. <clears throat> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so as you go through those tests, realize that's a, a part of the maturing process and that it'll make you better in the long run. Hope that helps you. All right. Thank you. So, uh, viewer asks, what does the Bible say about being ordained, about ordination? Well, the Old Testament talks about a ceremony for the priests. So the priests were ordained as priests and uh, they all came from the tribe of Levi and they had to go through a process and be cleansed and get their special garments. And it was quite a process to be ordained into the, the priesthood in the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament, I assume, is what this viewer is asking about. Uh, preachers, ministers, preachers of the gospel. Uh, the New Testament doesn't say anything about that. It uh, doesn't have any indication, any instructions for us, any rules or regulations on how to become ordained as a preacher or minister. Uh, evidently, God left that up to us. Uh, decided to let us do it however we wanted to. And different religious groups do it different ways. Some religious groups have a very uh, strict ordination process, have a, a seminary uh, for their young men, women that want to become preachers, uh, special tests, uh, certain requirement tests like you were talking about, uh, requirements, and uh, a procedure to ordain a preacher or a minister. Now within the Churches of Christ, which Toby and I are most familiar with. Uh, we don't have a specific process. We do have some schools of preaching and uh, they issue an ordination or a certificate that a uh, man is qualified to preach. But other than that, uh, if somebody in the Church of Christ feels called to preach, feels like that's what they want to do with their life and serve God in that way, basically the elders, which I talked about earlier at the local congregation, uh, affirm that they are authorized to do that, to preach the gospel, to do weddings, to do funerals, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about ordination. Different religious groups do it different ways, and that's the way do, we do it within the churches of Christ. Um, legally, I just might mention that, uh, legally to uh, qualify for IRS benefits and all the things that pertain to being the clergy, uh, you do have to have some kind of letter or certificate that the local elders signed or your seminary or something like that. So there are some legal requirements, uh, but nothing in the Bible about how to be ordained. All right, we're out of time for questions, but uh, we want to make sure we get our trivia question answered here. And I ask you at the first of the program, uh, what did Joshua do when the Israelites crossed the Jordan? And it was a pretty impressive ceremony, actually. What he did was he built a monument of 12 stones. Uh, he had the people, after they got across the Jordan, take 12 stones and put them in the middle of the Jordan and uh, build a monument there. And then he told them in Joshua 4, 6, and 7, he said, when your children ask you uh, what these stones mean, 
you tell them. You tell them about how we got out of Egypt and all that. So that was the purpose of the monument uh, was generations later when you're walking your son down by the Jordan and he saw those stones. So what's that mean, Daddy? You could tell him the whole story of the escape from Egypt and all of that. So that was that story. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week as we answer more of your questions. Till then, you have a blessed week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.